the words mean and what they're trying to express. And I'm grateful. You, you, you go and sing a lot of places, and, and what you're doing as a ministry is important. I just want you to know what a blessing you as the chorus are to us. I think when we get to heaven, if there is a director, it's going to be Brother McKnight. I think uh, every time he comes, he's just he's gracious. He's a gentleman. He's, he's a spiritual guy who just loves, obviously, uh, honoring God in music and song. And we're grateful uh, that he comes our way each year. We've got a group called Kappa Sigma uh, visiting with a chapter church. They go around and visit different places. If, I don't know if, if the, this may be undercover, and I may be breaking your cover, but could you hold your hand up if that's you? Could you? We're grateful you're here. Thank you for coming our way. It is a blessing. It says guys with blazers and pins. So if you see a guy with blazers and pins, that's these guys. And so we're grateful that they're here, these, this group. Um, What I love about the chorus thing, the South Africa thing, I just wrote this down. You're going to sing that a lot of times, but nowhere else are you going to sing it the first time. It was at Valley View. See, you remember that, okay? We were at Valley View and we sang this the first time. I just wrote that down and thought I got to say that. Here's a, a couple of things we're going to go over here in just a second. I've got to, I've got to issue apology here for some of you. It's kind of a fake one because I don't really mean it. Uh, We've been on a series on gender and how Christians are to understand the gender issue in our world. And really, I wanted this series wrapped up before Fried Hardman got here. This is not the kind that I really want to present when visitors are here, but it just landed this way. And so I apologize that you're, that you're having to drop in on a, a series like this, although it's true. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hesitant about that. Uh, and I'm also apologetic. It's going to be a little longer than normal, and I, I can't fix that, and I can't, I can't adjust that. And I'm going to tell you this. <clears throat> I have no choice but to present it this way today. I've never had a sermon I wanted over more than this one. I want it done. I don't ever want to... I don't want to go through this again. I've lost sleep at this. I know people it's going to hurt. And it kills me to present it. I got mad at myself for ever committing to do so. This week I thought, why did you open your big mouth and even agree to do something like this? On my way here, I made a little bit of a mistake. I'm listening to old country on the way here. I was passing a guy on I-5555, and I was singing the song on the radio, and it was Shania Twain, Feel Like a Woman. And here I am, a man, <laughs> about to deliver this sermon on gender, and I'm singing, Feels Like a Woman. Ooh, 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 ooh. And it's, I look over to that next person, I go, Okay, the devil works in weird ways. Quit this. That is not a lie. I didn't make that up. I thought, this is so strange. I wrote it four times. I've got a notebook that has four different sermons in it, and I've scratched them. Delivering everything that I've read in the six books I have, them on the front row. All these books and all this material, my eyes are swimming, and I feel compassion for lots of people who struggle with this. And, and, and every time I would think, I've got this down, I got this down, I didn't, and then I, I messed up and I'd go a different way. And I thought, it's going to take me two hours to do this. It's not going to take that long. But it would be if we did this faithfully and fully, but we can't do that. One time I found myself defending the truth of Scripture from all the LGBTQ issues in politics, the bathroom 
bathroom stuff and all that. And I increased the volume and I, I thought I'm going to attack this issue, this political issue right from the pulpit. And I go, why do you want to do that for? Those people aren't here. They don't care what you think. Yeah, you're going to get some amens from the chorus, right? The choir, we say. We're going to get the amens from the people who believe this because they've always lived in a world like this, but you're not going to be heard by those people. That's what Facebook's for, right? Go after it. Go after it if you want to on Facebook, right? And then I decided, no, don't do it that way. Let's look at the clobber passages. That's what they call them, the clobber passages. Those passages that deal with this common core issue of all these gender confusion things and just drop a great big bomb on the issue and let it go where it needs to go. That's being faithful to the Word of God. And I even read one of them, two of the books I read, were pro-transgender Christian people. How does the Bible support it? And one of them was a Church of Christ guy, right? It talks about a story of a Church of Christ guy. I grew up in this church and they were all law and all, and just make sure you toe the line. And, and he heard all these sermons, you're going to hell if you do this. And he was struggling with it as a teenager. And he said, that's one place I'll never go back to with my struggle. The bombs like that can do some good, but there's residual damage that's done to innocent bystanders when you do that. I don't want to unnecessarily hurt a single soul. Not one. I'm not going to drop the bombs. Then I found my voice. I put together a person. It's largely my daughter before she goes off to college. What do I want her to know? I want it to be simple. I want three simple moves that she put in her head and in her heart to know how to navigate all this. There's also a girl from church camp that I love dearly. She's like a daughter, and she changed her genders. And it breaks my heart. I still pray for her every week. I text her often. Sometimes she replies. Most often she doesn't. It may be something she's judged for one day, but it won't be to my delight. It won't be to my delight. And a young man who came and he had, he had problems with his homosexual desires and they were real. And I directed him to a preacher I thought would help him. And instead, that preacher exploited him. A preacher that some of you would know. And instead, it drove him darker and deeper down that thing. And that just makes me so angry. The church didn't help one of us hurt him. And I'm angry about that, and I'm thinking that's the person I want to talk to. I don't want to point fingers and say things that we all agree and label from a safe distance because I know I'm addressing people who have some of these desires in their heart and you're struggling with them, and you don't need me to blow you up. You need me to explain to you why this is important and where you can go. It's not out there, church. And some of you older people saying, this world's going crazy, it's all out there. It's not. It's in here. It's in here with people we love and care about, and we can't just write them off like no big deal. That is not an option for us at Valley View. I'm not going to rant and rave and complain and look at this thing like, how dare we have to deal with this? It doesn't exist. Not in here. Yes, it does. And if you act like it doesn't, you'll be so totally irrelevant that when you need to have a hearing in the hearts of these people, you won't even have a place at the table. I want Valley View to have a place at the table in the hearts and minds of these people struggling with this. Do you? Do you? Three moves. Each of them very practical and simple to remember with some pastoral parts underneath it. So my daughter going to college this fall, I want her to know this stuff. For all of us, 
in a world that doesn't appreciate this discussion necessarily, maybe because of how we phrased it in the past, I don't know. And even with some of you who are baffled that we even have to address it from a pulpit at all, let's keep that quiet. No, let's don't keep that quiet. This is the valley view I want to see. I'm painting you a picture of a valley view I want us to be. A husband I want to be to my wife. A dad I want to be and and an influence in the lives of college people and people. I want us to be. And here are the four things. I told you I'd remember before each of these four lessons. One, don't take issue with what's said until it's completely spoken. Second, culture is not our primary concern, but it is a great concern. Number three, remember the relationship between disagreement and disrespect. Disagreement does not justify disrespect. And disagreement doesn't equal disrespect. And finally, every person who is breathing and is alive is made in the image of God and deserves respect no matter how they dressed or how they sexually behave themselves. They deserve respect from God's people. That's always the overarching thing. So here we go. Move number one. God designed male and female on purpose with purpose. This is spoken in the first book of the Old Testament, the Bible, Genesis and the first book of the new quoted by Jesus God made them male and female with a purpose I'll tell you two things about this is this is how God wants it this is how God wants it but there's a second thing to this this is for your good God had it this way not arbitrarily not to force you into one mold when, when you could... No, God had it this way because this is the way the Creator designed the creation. This is what is good for us as human beings to be male and female and go with the roles that accompany those. In the literature, you'll hear them arguing. LGBTQ will argue this is just... Your gender is just assigned by a doctor or by a parent. I agree, your gender is assigned... But it's not assigned by your parents. They had nothing. Well, I mean, they had a little to do with it. But they didn't choose, handpick your gender. Neither did the doctor. He recognized what was there. Listen, your gender is assigned to you by your creator with certain clues about the role that you play in this life. And your job is to submit to that assignment Don't resist and don't fight and don't want to change. There are some assignments that you just have to honor. I have a feeling that Brother McKnight is a chorus director because I don't think he had many basketball team offers. Have you noticed how short he is? And he can rant and rave and he can take pills and he can do surgeries, but that guy's not going to be a star basketball player. He just isn't not. And he can get mad about that, but that's, so he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm guessing here, I don't know his story, but I bet he thought, you know, I'm not going to be a basketball player, how about music? Maybe that's what he thought, I don't know. Your design by God is not an accident. You were made by him, special as you are. He doesn't want you rebelling and changing, he wants you to accept that assignment and flourish from within it. And you can preacher friend of mine, a fellow free graduate who, who preaches in Missouri, he's having for a time to take a girl into his home who's been abused terribly over the years, and, and she, she's resistant and she's rebellious, but they are valiant and trying to love her. And, and one time he was filling in for the youth minister at a class on David, uh, the life of David. He wanted to deal with the life of David before David was born. You're like, what? Yeah, Psalm 139. God knit David together in his womb. 
his mother's womb. He, he knit him together and he created him special. And, and that's all he talked about in this class. And they got home and she threw a fit and she started cussing at him and saying, how dare you cram Christian theology down my throat? And with tears in his eyes, he says, cramming Christian theology down your throat that God loves you and created you special? That's an overbearing, that is an unfair treatment of you? I want to say to the world, you were created wonderful by a God who loves you dearly and he did assign a gender and doesn't give you freedom to just go out there and choose. He assigns certain things and you are in your best interest to submit to that assignment. Eve decided that the assignment of God was overbearing and that God was, no, he's not protecting us. Not in this garden, this wonderful plush garden where everything is perfect. God is holding back something from us. That fruit, that tree is going to be good and it's going to give us all these freedoms. And she eats of that fruit and so does Adam and they're driven from the garden. They think God has somehow withheld something special from them and so does the world. And they go pursuing that fruit over and over again. And I'm going to tell you, God's command was not to enslave them. It was to keep them from the mess we're in now. If a thought or a desire comes into your mind that's not consistent with the revealed will of God, get rid of it. You might think it's unfair that God limited us in our sexual behavior to one man and one woman in one marriage, but I want to tell you it makes it simpler. He did not just let us be. He did not just let us choose and randomly go out any kind of lifestyle. He gave us freedom through that one ethic, and it, was, it keeps us from the chaos that destroys our lives. Do you believe the will of God is for your good? Do you believe it's for your welfare? Psalm 19, a psalm that says there's two ways we know God, from the world and from the word, from looking at creation and looking at revelation. And so here's what he says at the end of all that. He says, by keeping these commands of God, your servants warned. He's warning you from things that are dangerous and harmful. You may swear that they're fulfilling. You may swear that they make you feel more human and more alive. But God's saying to you, I'm warning you. I created you. I know better than you who you are. And I'm warning you not to do this. And in keeping them, there's a great reward. That's the purpose for God's commands. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles in this world to abstain from sinful desires. Why? They wage war against your soul. And I want you healthy and whole, God says. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that just seems so right to the man. But its end is death. But you've got to keep, be careful. There's a second warning in this too. Be careful that we don't have too fixed and rigid definitions of masculine and feminine teachers will tell you this and you know this too there are men who walk around who are a little more feminine than other men there's a huge continuum and there's true it's true about gender there are men who talk different and they walk different and they sometimes act different sometimes they care about fashion I don't understand that but some men do right obviously some cook some men make, more than, make less than their wives in marriage. None of those things is an essential part of God's definition of what is a man. 
There are certain roles that every man needs to embrace as part of their gender. Certain roles every woman needs to embrace because of their gender. But there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of things in there that we, as a culture, will look at a man and say, well, that guy's obviously gay. Look at the way he walks and talks. And then all of a sudden, we make him, we make him self-conscious. We make him question his identity, and then, and then as part of our world, our world will come up to him and say, well, it's obvious you're gay, so I'm going to give you this script. This script is what every person like you acts like. It's a lifestyle they embrace. The entire lifestyle has to go with these certain mannerisms that you have, and even in the church, we do this too. Can I tell you, there's a wide array of what can make a man. Some of you like to hunt and you go hunt deer we had, and, and all that stuff. You got to have a gun in the back of your truck that's really tall and lots of hair on your chest. I used to believe that to you. Everybody watched Little House in the Prairie. Every time Paul, Paul, Eng, Paul, Paul Ingalls, when he would rip his shirt off, he had no hair on his chest. I thought, did he never eat green beans or what? There are people I've met from Abilene, Texas, these guys who shave their legs. Do you understand that? I don't understand that, but they're all men. Is that, is that essential part of females so that these guys now have to question their identity? No. We have all sorts of different, even at Valley View, we have young people growing up. Some are a little more, some don't want to go hunting and get muddy. They want to read books and be in plays. And we treat them funny. The world treats them funny, puts them in a caricature and a stereotype and forces them into this mold. And they find themselves mocked and ridiculed at school and even at church. I've been on youth trips, not with our youth group, but I've been on youth trips where youth group members will make fun of other people's race and other people who are more feminine as guys. And they will walk funny and they will talk funny and they'll laugh and they'll ridicule. And some of those people are right there in that group. That cannot go on. That cannot be that way. It is not a rigid, fixed thing. And because you have a little bit of a, a feminine trait about you does not endorse the fact you are gay and you might as well go into that lifestyle. That is not the truth. It's not. And we better not act like it. Because these people will find themselves not accepted at church, but they'll go find a group that will happily endorse that, agree to that, and fully throw them into that lifestyle. And I don't want them going to that group to find help. I want them coming here to find help. I want them to come among God's people and know that we're not going to judge them and put them and wrestle them into that. Scripture says, well, back up a second. Is gentleness a male or feminine trait? <laughs> Most people are going to say, gentle, I'm not gentle. Melissa will say, I'm, as, I, I'm not, I'll walk down the hallway, we've got a crawl space, I'm going to walk down the hall, and she knows I'm coming. Dum, 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 dum. I mean, I have no gentleness at all, right? Women are more gentle than men, but listen, do you know what the next to last fruit of the Spirit is? Gentleness. It's not a male or female trait. It's a trait every person who's full of the Holy Spirit will emulate. It's it's not either. It's spiritual. We've got to be spiritual people and not worry about these other things. Those people with those propensities may need some extra attention. They may, but they don't need our judgment. And they don't need our stereotype and our making fun of them. With that, we go to move number two. 
First one, God designed male and female on purpose with a purpose. Abby, remember that. Second, because of sin, there are many distortions and sinful options that are made available and attractive to us. Adam and Eve ushered in knowledge of good and evil, and they unleashed these distortions, these multiple options for every desire the human was made with. And I'm going to tip my hand right here. I'm going to tell you this. Those people, those men who say, I feel more like a woman, a woman trapped inside of a man's body. I get that, and I don't discount that. I know men who just really are drawn sexually to other men or women to other women. And I'm going to say it to you, that shouldn't be surprising. We live in a fallen world. They're going to say, where does this come from? And all these studies to decide, is this a genetic thing? Are you born this way? The studies don't support that. Not very clearly. And there's a lot of them. I don't think that's true. But I'm going to tell you this. If ever it's proven there's some kind of genetic predisposition to the desire, it does nothing to the revealed will of God. It stays the same. And so God is channeling you, saying, you may have some of it. Because I can tell you, Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus is asking this, asked this question about divorce and remarriage, he backs up and after the apostles say, well, who in the world wants to get married if you can't get out of it? That's a great apostolic moment. If you can't get out of it, don't even get in that thing, right? So, and Jesus says, well, not everybody can handle it. Not everybody can go without marriage. Do you remember what he says after that? Eunuchs, castrated males, made incapable of reproducing. Some of them are made that way by people. Some of them make themselves that way for the kingdom of God. Some of them are born that way. In your bulletin, there are a bunch of terms you'll never see in any other church bulletin in the history of the world. The elders didn't approve it. I may be fired today, but it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. There's a rule for you, college people. One of those is intersex. There are people born, and it's not clear. It's not clear whether they're male or female. Something happened in the chromosomes, something happened in the hormones, something happened in different things, and there it's not clear. It's a very small number of people, and it does not form part of the transgender argument today. Not legitimately, anyway. But we do acknowledge there's some, there's some people like that. The fallen world means that there's some things unleashed, that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And one of those, you're going to have these desires come into you. God has his revealed will for you, his design for you, and then there's counterfeits all over the world. And the world advocates for them. This is true in every area of life. Every facet of your life, you have something that's right, and then you have all these other options that are wrong. Why should we be surprised when that's true also of gender formation and gender identity? James says we're tempted when our own evil desires from within start drawing us toward things that are available to us. But he knows us better than we do. The idea that a man is trapped in a woman's body, that a man is drawn toward another man, it's not a stretch. It's a desire that a person has. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. It means they've got to choose. Those desires, they're very powerful, not according to God's design, but they're powerful and part of the fall. And note, every time that Scripture talks about these, it pushes us back toward creation. I want you to see Romans chapter 1 with me. For although they knew God, they knew there was a God, they did not honor him. So we're going to act like he's not there. We know he's there, but we're going to act like he's not there and do our own thing. And the first thing that goes, so therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies with one another. And it leads to homosexuality and lesbianism, right? First you dishonor God. Then you dishonor 
the body he gave you. That's how it works. What God wants us to do is honor God by honoring the body he gave us. And he's given us these red flags around us. The trouble comes when you bypass him. What keeps you aright is, is honoring God in your body. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is not just the Ephesians. This is every person who ever lived. As for you, that's you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, those behaviors that you acted in, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also, that's everybody, lived among them at one time. And what's it look like when you live godless? He says, gratifying the cravings of your flesh, following its desires and thoughts. That's the life of a fallen human being. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Ephesians 4 then explains what you do. You were taught then with regard to your former way of life, the way you used to live in the world, put off that old self. How does he characterize it? Corrupted by those deceitful desires. You've let those desires take hold of you and you've become a servant to your desires and you carry them out. Now you make new in the attitude of your minds and you put on the new self, created once again to be like God, like you were in Genesis. This is our description of us. Those desires are in you. Every one of us has them and every one of us has illicit desires. Every one of us thinks of things we should not do. We imagine things we should not engage in and that does not make you a bad person. And I want to say to you as young people, if you have bad thoughts sometimes and it's something that you wouldn't say aloud at church, I get it. That doesn't make you a bad person. What you do with those desires becomes your identity. The world has, we have a doctrinal struggle, a pitting of two things. Here's the first doctrine. The doctrine of the world says this. If you have a thought or desire, you have to explore it fully. Psychologists tell us that as we grow, there's certain periods of time where we do have attraction to the same sex. That thought that enters your mind at certain times, and even I've met married people and I've met adult people who say in a certain context, they will have these weird draws or attractions to the same sex. Does that make them bad people? No. But the world says if you have some strange desire come up in your head, you owe it to yourself to explore and experiment because that could be your authentic self. And they say if you have a thought or desire, it is your identity. It defines you. You have to announce at age eight when that weird thought comes in your head, I think I'm gay. That's ridiculous. But that's the doctrine of the world. And we're swallowing it. <laughs> the books I read had this, both of them said this, you can't control who you fall in love with. That's the world. That is baloney. I went to Burger King that day. <laughs> All the good looking women worked at Burger King back then. It doesn't make sense, does it? Fast food and weight and all that. No. Melissa worked there. I studied Greek there. I took an interest, and then I left, and I did a little bit of research. This is the age before Facebook. You had to do some real work back then. And I found out 
this woman is an active member of the Seventh and Muller youth group. Ah, that's a good one. Write that down. That's a pro and con. Pro. Beautiful pro. Two, two beautifuls. Right there. Her dad is a deacon and they're serious and they go every Sunday and they eat donuts before they go and then they go. It's a way of life. I did not pursue her until I knew some things about her that were consistent with what needs to happen for me as a person of God. I did not fall for her for no reason at all. If she would have been Muslim, I would have gone to McDonald's. It's no offense to Muslims, but this guy's not going to marry a Muslim. I'm not going to fall in love with a Muslim. And if I don't hang around with a Muslim, then I'm not going to fall in love with them. I control that. You control that. We are not the beck and call of our desires. We are not slaves to our desires. We are in control of these. And that's the doctrine of the world. And we are, it's in every movie, y'all. It's in the evening news. It's in every sitcom. It's in everything that you download from Netflix. It's there. And this doctrine is being preached all the time. And here's the truth. You ready for God's doctrine? Thoughts and desires present temptation, but they are not sin. Get the rest of it, and they are not inevitable. Thoughts and desires that come into your life, good and bad even, but especially the bad ones. We think, James says, yeah, your desires within you create a temptation. There's no sin. Create this temptation, and you got this. Ten- and listen, it's harder for some people. Let's just admit it. There are some people who are drawn to the same sex. It's going to be harder for them to live holy than us who might naturally be heterosexual. And that's not fair. I get it. It's just the way it is. But you're not inevitable. Here's the second one. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're just going to go ahead to the screen. Take every thought captive. You get this? Here's how we fight. Here's how we fight. Weapons we fight with are not guns and bombs. The weapons we fight with are the word of God to help us identify the doctrines of the world that we need to be careful with. And he says, take every thought captive. You see that at the end? Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so here comes a thought. I'm really attracted to this guy. It's to me. There's a guy who goes, I'm really attracted to that guy. A fleeting second, you say, that never happens to you. Mind your own business. It might. And I'm not a bad person if it does. I'm a human if it does. What happens next is whether I take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ or I let it lead me astray. That's the doctrine of God. You're not at the beck and call of these desires because they're in all of us. Everyone in here has them. There's some of you drawn to internet pornography. I know it's a fact. I know it's true. And that draw is not the sin. What it makes you do is sin. And it it starts shaping your identity and starts changing your brain. The plasticity of the brain can change. There's some of you who are drawn to the same sex even within a marriage. But you take that thought captive and you take care of it. And there's some of you who are married, you're heterosexual, but you're still drawn to somebody else who's not your wife. And don't you lie about it. You start lying about it and you will fall prey to that. You acknowledge that and you slaughter that thought as a Christian who's living under the identity of submission to the word of God and identity as a spirit-filled person. You slaughter that thing. It's not that it never existed. I want our young people to know these thoughts don't define you and they don't force you into anything. You can have these thoughts and you can take control of them. Take them captive and slaughter them. You're not a bad person. 
That leads to the third move, and I know I'm taking too long. But can I tell you something about the, back up for just a second, if you would, uh, to the two worlds, the two doctrines. The, the world does not know you. God knows you. And he's going to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth is going to make you deny yourself. It's going to make you say no to that desire that you really want to explore. And that's what Christian commitment is. I love the proverb, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The world's kissing you. Do whatever you want. Say yes to you. And God loves you enough to wound you and tell you the truth. Third move, we live in a world that does not, create, that does not agree with or know the Creator's design. We move here from our position to our disposition. The position's what we believe about Scripture, about us. The disposition is how do we act toward people who don't? Get this very carefully because we're living in this world, right? We will be a minority. We are going to lose the culture war. We're going to lose it. We already have. You already have homosexual marriage as a legal right. We're going to lose this, church. But what are we going to do about it? We can't legislate people away from sin, but we live among them, still embodying and living out God's wisdom for the world. So first of all, keep rehearsing what you know. You know what God wants is what people need. You know what's best for them, even when they don't agree with you. We know why people are drawn to these behaviors. It's because these desires within them. We don't just know this because Scripture tells us. We know it from experience. You have the same kinds of desires. You, you don't have the same as a same-sex person, but you have the same desire and the draw and the strength of it. You know what that's like, and this is just a different in kind, not a different nature thing. These people struggle with this, and, they're, and we don't have to act shocked. Well, how dare you? We don't have to act mystified, like, I can't understand why you guys would act this way. Yes, we do. It's the same reason we want to in different areas. God knows what's right and good for us. I read accounts, and I've talked to people, and the angst inside of them about transgender thoughts and desires they legitimate and I don't believe they're making this up and they're not just being rebellious I think there are people who really do struggle with that identity every day they wake up and it's a battle all day long because they don't see themselves they're not congruent with what their biology says it's awful, and we don't need to be people saying, well, you're just making this up, just act right and fly, you know, straighten up and fly right. We need to be a group of people that acknowledge this is hard, and for some people to be righteous, it's going to take a, a greater effort to be obedient. There are people really who are drawn to the same sex. That's the way they, they experience life, and we don't need to go around denying it. We can be sympathetic, and we can be patient, and we can be loving and understand and hear them out and hear the groanings of this struggle within them and take it as a legitimate thing at face value. But we cannot be so sympathetic that we undermine in God's will and endorse it. These books that I've read make me feel like a heel. These people that expose their hearts and their experiences and then, and then I have to look at them and say, I, I understand, but... 
Some people change their beliefs because they change their behaviors and to justify it, they go to scripture and they find something. But some people change their beliefs because they want so much to love someone else who struggles with it and doesn't wanna, doesn't wanna stand in the way of them finding something that gives them peace. And so by my sympathy, I change my beliefs. But here's what we believe from the first move we made was this. I believe that what God tells us is for our good. I believe it is not loving to sit by and watch somebody engage in things they think are fulfilling and they think that make them feel better and more whole, but we know are destroying their soul. It's not loving to watch them do that and live that way and say nothing and in fact endorse it and say well just go ahead if it makes you feel better if it works for you if it's destroying them it's not love it's not love but make sure love is the motive for what you say it will affect how you say it here's what we do then if I'm not referring to anyone if a young person who grew up here struggles with their gender identity What's church do? We will not agree to call them by a different name. We will not go along with a gender changing process. An overwhelming majority, 80 to 95% of people who struggle with this as a young person, will resolve it by the time they get into adulthood. To allow that feeling that they have to control and direct is nothing but prolonging the confusion and the view of themselves that is devolving, when they are confused, when someone among us we love and part of our family is confused about who they are, they need to come to church and be reminded of who they are. They may have lost touch with themselves and they may have these desires in them that make them confused and they don't need to go somewhere else. They need to come to the church and be reminded, not because we know them better than anyone, but because our God knows them better than anyone. Their creator knows them and we're gonna remind them and we're gonna rehearse the story and we're gonna tell them God loves you and he made you this way and this is the best way to live and we're gonna remind you of that until you believe it not brainwashing not brainwashing truth telling that's what we'll do for you and I pray to God every member of the youth group cooperates with it and does not sabotage it by making fun of them on the side if a person from outside by the way being patient with somebody is not being soft on the issue. If a person from outside the congregation comes to visit and they interact with us, we call them whatever they tell us to call them and we relate to them as they present themselves. We don't address their dress. It's not the first order of priority. We keep teaching the truth. We don't change the truth just because it might make them feel uncomfortable. We share with them the truth that we know about them even if they don't know it. And when the conversations come up, and they will, to have a civil, loving conversation, we discuss that behavior. And if they ever want to become a Christian, we will baptize them with the understanding that their God-created identity is to rule the day, and their sexual lives are ordered by God, and is what they need to be struggling toward. And if they struggle the rest of their life, if they struggle the rest of their life, they struggle not alone, they struggle in family and in fellowship. And we don't leave them because it doesn't happen like this in a miracle because it will not. And we will not tell them if you just pray right that it will go away because it won't. But if they ever reach a point where they just say, this is the way I am and I'm going to celebrate my rebellion, that will not be allowed and we will stand firm on the story. I don't know any other way to be. 
practical pieces of advice. We're almost done, I promise. Do not get wrapped up in heated political discussions that only agitate people. You will be in certain circumstances that nothing you say matters and all it does is stirs up a bunch of heated, controversial anger. If that's the case, keep your mouth shut. If you cannot embody and speak lovingly, just don't speak at all. Don't respond on Facebook, please. And do not get involved in bashing or mocking people who are engaged in these things that you know are wrong. When you belittle them in their struggle, you shame them and you shut down every opportunity we'll ever have to represent God to them. I've done this before. Freed Hardem and I, I had a best friend who was kind of feminine acting. He became my best man. I still talk to him a lot. He talked feminine, he walked feminine. He's a very caring and gentle person. We became fast friends, but there came a period of time where he just totally vacated. I never saw him, and I would call him. Didn't have cell phones, called him from the, hall, the dorm, Farrell Hall. He said, I'll meet with you, I gotta talk about something. And some ways that I had been acting made him feel so self-conscious and shamed that he couldn't be around me. And he He explained how it hurt him. I went on a long walk and cried. Never meant to do that to him. So ashamed of that. And I remember even in earlier days with other college people at CRC, we would make fun and we'd walk down the hall in that real feminine way and we would hold our hands the right way and we'd talk a certain way and we'd make those jokes and thought it was so funny. Did I, didn't phase me, it was hurting somebody. There are people really struggling with that, people you don't even know. And when you do that, it hurts them and it, it, it makes them feel shame and it drives them further possibly into that lifestyle. This guy had a cr- strong Christian background and it wasn't going to drive him out to that, but it hurt him deeply and I swore never to do it again and I haven't. But if Slicer Street one time, Relay for Life team had Goddess of the Walk. That's what you do when you stay up all night with Relay for Life. And one man dresses up as a woman. And I volunteered and I did that. And it was the most awful, terrible experience. And I remember we went through this against the third or fourth year we did. I came out second, which is even more shameful. But there are no pictures available from it. Thank the Lord. He's intervened for me. But here's uh, the, the, the Wednesday night after that, an elders meeting. Uh, I talked to the elders and I said, I really feel, guys, we should never, ever, ever do that again. This is a real struggle for real people. And if we, in doing these things, and we, we say it's just harmless fun, If there's one young person or there's one person at Valley View struggling with it and they see us do that and they come to the conclusion this is not the place for them, they won't find the help and they won't find any compassion at all and they walk away, God forgive our souls. This is a place where you can be fallen and we won't let you stay fallen. We're going to hold up God's standard. But listen, until we do, this is not a thing to make fun of. This is not a thing to ridicule or belittle. This is a thing to take seriously. And they may suffer all their lives with this. 
But I want them to know this is a safe place to struggle together with other people. Our kids that grow up here can struggle with this. And they know they can come here and they won't find the judgment and the shame and the ridicule. They'll find people who understand where these desires come from and will hold up God's redemptive power through his spirit in them as long as it takes. And they can know that their friends struggling with this will find the same compassion. This is where I've landed on this. I wish the world was an easier place, but it's not. I don't want to judge the world. That's not our job. I don't want to filter people out who struggle. That's what the church is here for. And I don't want to compromise the truth of God either because that would render us powerless and purposeless in this world. May we be a people who are as much like Jesus as we can be, who were able to draw these people with these desires. They were drawn to him and they found him to be somehow accepting and yet somehow holding up a standard of God that was higher than they could ever imagine and they were drawn for both counts. I want to, I feel safe, but I also feel expectant. I feel like I get God's, God's compassion, but I also get his expectation. I want both in this church. Can we do that? Can we balance this? Let's be like Jesus. That's what God made us to be. That's what God indwells us to be. And that's what this world so desperately needs right now in this time of gender confusion. If there's anyone here this morning who for whatever reason needs spiritual assistance, if you need to become a Christian this morning, you're coming into a lifestyle that submits the lordship of Christ in every way. And this morning is one discussion of the lordship impression and implication. If there's anyone struggling with anything that needs spiritual attention, I really believe you'll find this a safe place. We're working on it. We'll be that way with you and with everyone. If there's any response that needs to be made, no, make it now as we stand and as we sing. Amazing grace.